When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Live in the Bream with host of Fox News at Night, Shannon Bream. All right, this week on Live in the Bream, she is a familiar face to you. You know her, you love her. She has her own podcast called The Untold Story. She hosts a fantastic show called The Story at 7 p.m. Eastern on Fox. Please welcome Martha McCallum. Hello there, Shannon. How are you? Listen, thank you for that very nice intro. Right back at you. I feel the same way. We are going to talk about all the amazing things you're doing because you also have a book coming out, which is fantastic. And I know there's a ton of work that goes into that. And so, and you have such a personal connection to it. So we'll talk about that as well. Great. Um, But it's great to have you here in D.C. because you're doing special impeachment coverage. Um, when do you sleep? That's the number one question. Yeah, good question, right? <laughs> when do any of us sleep these days? I True. mean, this this impeachment has a life of its own. And, um, you know, we were supposed to leave for Iowa on Friday mm-hmm. morning. But now it looks like there may be some kind of vote on at least the first stage of whether or not there's going to be a vote on witnesses. So we're going to stick around on Friday. And now the new plan is that we're going to head out either Friday night or Saturday morning. Um, but, you know, we've uh, unpacked our bags, packed our bags, mm-hmm. taken the train back, come back mm-hmm. several mm-hmm. times. But it's all yep. part of the fun. It yep. is. And yeah, we're, we're scrambling to change Iowa, too. And the first thought I had when they said, yeah, maybe we need everybody to stay in D.C. on Friday night because we're told this could go past midnight or beyond. Right. We don't we have no idea of, you know, way of predicting this. But with that as a possibility, then I start thinking everyone in the press corps is trying to get to Des Moines. So yeah. how many flights will there be available? Very good point. But it's one of the most glamorous parts of our job, the down and dirty traveling. It is. It, you know, I, I pride myself on being a really good packer. Um, <gasps> Are you a good packer? I'm terrible. <laughs> well, I have a big bag right now because I've been all over the place. Right. But, um, you know, it's always a challenge, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Trying to find those things that you can right. roll up and figure out well, a different way to wear them a couple times. And then they look good on TV. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, I tend to do this thing where if I'm on the road a lot, I will pack like black Pants, black yes, skirts, and absolutely. like every different top you can possibly yes, imagine. Yes, that is the just key. Just to do it. How many years did it take you to learn that? It took me a long time. Oh, uh, yeah. And then <laughs> I'm just like, no one's seeing the bottom half. I am exactly. not going to do it. You're just going to do what you have black to. Black boots, black pants. But I think people always assume because we probably travel a lot with work that we're better at it than we are. And so my husband and I, Sheldon, have just decided like we give up. Like, no, if I'm going to take 18 pairs of shoes, I'm taking them. I know. It's not. I know. It's I not pretty, you, but, but again, <laughs> if your feet aren't showing, then you can just wear sneaks or yeah, whatever, and that's better. I like to, I like stand by black boots that are mm-hmm. my, my go-to everywhere I go. go. All right. So we will be going to Iowa, but first we have to see what's going to happen. There's yeah. a lot of speculation as we are recording this on Wednesday about whether or not they're going to vote for witnesses. Last night we were told Mitch McConnell doesn't have the votes to hold the GOP together. Tonight we hear not only that there are some GOP folks that seem to be solidifying against, witnesses. But now there's a lot of speculation about potential Democratic senators voting for acquittal. Yeah, we have heard some information on people like Kristen Cinema, for example. Doug Jones is another one. Joe Manchin's been sending some interesting kind of double signals about all of this. Um, but it's it's I, it's pretty hard. Everyone I've spoken to is not willing to commit either mm-hmm. way on this. I think there's a lot of question marks out there, and there's as we always see in this kind of situation, there's a lot of kind of gamesmanship going on behind the scenes because anybody who is interested in um, joining Mitch McConnell on this is is probably going to have. Some and things that they would like 
prioritized as well. Mm-hmm. That's the way it goes. Um, and we'll see what happens. I think Lamar Alexander is, is one of the most important people to watch in this. He's leaving the Senate at the end of his term. However, he does have some legacy issues that he is very committed to um, that he would like to, I'm, I, I would imagine, see passed before he leaves. On the other hand, uh, you know, he has been someone who I think has been sensitive to the idea that, that witnesses mm-hmm. would, would go, would further legitimize the process. But mm-hmm. You know, in my mind, it, once you open up that, I, I, what I see happening is that they just will never be able to reach an agreement on what the mm-hmm. definition of, of a relevant witness mm-hmm. is. And I think then you've got this kind of mutually assured destruction where, you know, well, it, I want these two witnesses and you want those two witnesses, but I'll never agree to those two to give you mine. And I think that they may find themselves at an impasse, especially given the fact that it's very difficult to imagine mm-hmm. a scenario where they convict. So we'll, well see. And it's funny to me, um, we both have news shows covering this stuff, and we covered what what happened over in the House where the Democrats are in the majority and they got to call which witnesses they wanted to call because that's mm-hmm. how it works. They're in charge. So it's interesting to me that we even have this conversation where you see a lot of folks in the mainstream media pushing like it's not a trial. It's not legit unless they get witnesses. And I'm thinking like, OK, well, the GOP controls the Senate and you're not giving the kind of deference that you did when we were saying, hey, listen, sorry, you lost the House. You don't get to decide what happens over there if you're a Republican. Um, so it's interesting how the conversation seems to, um, in some cases, have a double standard now that we've moved across, you know, Pennsylvania. I, Avenue, I think that's Hill. very true um, with regard to, you know, I, I, which is why I've when I've interviewed a number of Democrats on this issue on the House side, I kept asking them, why did you give up custody of this issue? Mm-hmm. You know, because they could have they could have held it longer. They Build could have the said, case. we're pursuing these witnesses. We're waiting. We, you know, who knew uh, what was going to perkle up with John Bolton um, to the surface. So they once they lost custody of, of this entire process, it does make it a lot more difficult for them mm-hmm. to uh, to claim that that they can push for witnesses at this stage of the game. Um, and in the past, we have seen that the witnesses that were called during the Clinton impeachment had given depositions before mm-hmm. to grand jury and had given depositions to the House. So at least, you know, the attorneys on each side sort of had a sense of, mm-hmm. of what they were going to say. That's the other thing that really amazes me. And you're you're an attorney, but, um, you know, the, the idea that you're going to bring witnesses in with no idea mm-hmm. where they're going to go, because no anybody who thinks that they can pin down John Bolton right now and how he would really mm-hmm. fall on this, I think, is um, probably giving themselves a little too much credit. Yeah. I mean, you would never put someone on the stand without opposing them. But you have to know. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in as much as it's in your power to do it, you got to yeah. know. And I think the stakes are so high here for both sides. They'd probably want to know, Democrats, what Hunter Biden's going to say. They, the GOP, is going to want to know what would Bolton or Mulvaney or anybody else say. So I think, you know, I mean, that was built into the rules that Mitch McConnell put together mm-hmm. or, you know, this idea that you would have to depose people before any of this stuff goes public, right. which the Democrats are decrying. But again, you look back 20 years to the Clinton impeachment and you see people flipping sides or modifying what they said back then on both sides of the aisle. It's, so, all, it's so political. It is so political. I mean, everybody's playing for their team yeah. and, uh, and, you know, in using the same exact rules on each other that, that they used last time around. I just watched a montage this morning that was really mm-hmm. striking and how similar the arguments were, but on the other side. The funny thing is, too, when you watch, we ran a montage on our show last night of Democrats. Many of them are now in the Senate um, yeah. that were saying these things 20 years ago. And I'm like, some of them look exactly the same and some of them look radically different. Some of them like do. Like for all of us. I don't like seeing videos of me 20 years ago. <laughs> some of it's them a do. little bit of difference. Uh, okay, so let's fast forward to Iowa because that's where we're eventually going to uh, end up. We're getting yeah. sort of some of the last polls before um, mm. the caucus goers do their thing. It's such a complicated process, especially on the Democratic side. Come um, caucus night, we're going to get different 
sets of numbers as they come in. Um, different people may have different bragging rights. I was the original winner. I was in second place. The final numbers are going to say something else. Um, how do you anticipate that night going? Well, I remember last time around, we left um, you know, late into that night not knowing who won. Mm-hmm. And then Ted Cruz yeah. squeaked out a win, which I think mm-hmm. a lot of people forget. That's what happened in Iowa mm-hmm. in 2016 uh, by a very narrow margin. So obviously, because of the structure of the caucus, it's a different sort of situation. You have to be there. You have to show up to caucus. And because of that, I think that Bernie Sanders has a bit of an advantage. We've seen there's Mm -hmm. a ton of enthusiasm for him at his rallies and all of his events. And he just sort of engenders a very um, show up kind of Mm -hmm. person who is interested in his candidacy, unlike Joe Biden, who also has, you know, obviously has been in the front row through much of this process so far, but just draws a different type of voter. So Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see some pretty interesting results. I mean, the Sanders people are talking a big game right now. They are, are, you know, out there saying we're going to win. And, uh, you know, like Joe Namath in the Super Bowl, they they better produce. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting. It will be because uh, the polls have generally favored them. He's continued to surge. Um, We've seen a a climb for Pete Buttigieg over the last several Mm -hmm. weeks, too. Um, It seems to the detriment of Biden seems sort of to be holding steady. Um, Elizabeth with Warren fading. Um, we've got these wild cards, too, like Andrew Yang and Amy Klobuchar. Yeah. We were talking in the makeup room earlier. There are so many people still in the race. I'm like, oh, yeah, Senator Bennett's still in. Deval Patrick is still in. Tulsi Gabbard, who is raising alarms mm-hmm. about, you know, why, despite her numbers, she's not being included in some of the things other networks are right. doing. Um, so there's still, we're talking about three or four people, but there are really a lot of folks that if you come out of Iowa with a surprise, even finishing the top three or four, you've got a ticket for a little while. Yeah, I think I think Amy Klobuchar is an interesting person mm-hmm. to watch in that regard. Uh, she has been sort of the slow and steady climber in this process, which is always interesting to watch. Uh, we've seen a number of people sort of get their moment in Iowa. Elizabeth Warren was at the top for a while. Pete Buttigieg was at the top. And now, uh, for whatever reason, people who have become disenchanted with them seem to be sort of clustering towards Bernie at the moment. But I, I think that this is going to be a very long process choosing mm-hmm. this Democratic nominee. And I wouldn't count out the, the Bloomberg element. Yep. I, I think it's very interesting to watch what Mike Bloomberg is doing. And we'll see if, you know, it really depends, I think, so much on Biden with regard to mm-hmm. him. If, if Biden starts to wash out, if that is what happens, who knows? Uh, I think people will take a look at, at Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. And we've already seen him, you know, sort of increasing some traction in yeah. some of these polls. So He's spending some money. And let's not forget Tom Steyer. Um, he's pouring it into. He is pouring it into. I don't know that uh, it's... with different results, but yeah. uh, he is pouring it into. And you know, we haven't we've seen Steyer on the debate stage. We have mm-hmm. not seen Bloomberg on the debate mm-hmm. stage. And um, you know, you have to be you have to be someone who pops in that environment. Mm-hmm. Somebody mm-hmm. who people want to sort of rally behind. And whether or not folks in Middle America are going to do that with Mike Bloomberg, mm-hmm. I think is a big question mark here. Um, but I do think he's getting he's getting. Uh, he's getting a look from a a lot of people. So we'll see where it goes. So interesting with him and the story out this week that there are allies of Elizabeth Warren who now say, listen, he said, I'm not going to be on these debate stages because the donor numbers factor into that. And he says, I'm not taking outside money for Mm -hmm. the most part. Right. So he won't be on the debate stage, which in a way allows him to kind of skate unscathed. And now some of, you know, the Warren camp are saying, 
going to the DNC, at least that's the story, and saying, is there a way we can get him onto the stage? Is there a special criteria? Because we actually want to take a, a swing at him and some of his ideas. Yeah. If he doesn't have to stand here and debate us, he's sort of getting a pass on some of the tougher questions, I think. I mean, they have a point. Unfortunately, they can't force him to yep. do what he doesn't want to do, and he's sort of picked his own path here. Um, but I do think once you get on stage with everyone else, it sort of pops up the bubble a little bit mm-hmm. and makes you, you know, sort of play yeah, in the game with everybody. Uh, he's, you know, I, I mean, his ads, I think, are, are well done, but mm-hmm. I do think you've got you got to come across personally, and whether or not he can actually do that when he gets his, his chance remains to be seen. But look, you know what? Anybody can win. Yeah, they can, which is why our jobs are so interesting and exciting it this is. year. It really so is. Because, listen, so lucky. we have educated guesses about everything. We watch polls and stories, but really, until these results start coming in, we don't know. Um, what do you make of the conversation that, I mean, I feel like it was a whisper a couple weeks ago. Now people are putting their names on it. Some of the folks in the Democratic Party who are saying... We can't let Bernie win. I mean, like America's not going to vote for a socialist. Um, the Trump team would run ads that would be terrible for him. Honeymooning in Russia and Cuba and all these places that um, are not going to be popular with middle, yeah. middle America. It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, it you think is. about the fact that last time around, uh, the Clinton campaign and the DNC really mm-hmm. took uh, the criticism hard and understandably so for you know, kind of putting their thumb on that scale with regard to the superdelegates and all of that. I remember being on the floor of the convention mm-hmm. last time around and the Bernie folks were standing they up and turning mad. their backs to yes. Hillary Clinton when she came out to accept mm-hmm. the nomination. They came out in force. It was one of the most dramatic mm-hmm. moments of that whole convention. So here you have Bernie four years later back to, you know, vindicate himself. And I, I do think that the same forces that were concerned about him surging then are concerned mm-hmm. now. But you have to recognize the fascination with what he's talking about. And we've seen the polls on this, right? You've got 30 percent, 30 something percent of the country open to the idea of socialism. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're living in interesting times right now when you're looking at, you know, President Trump and Bernie Sanders and the dichotomy. Mm -hmm. What's the word? Dichotomy. I mean, it Thank would you. be. Thank you. Dichotomy. That uh, didn't sound it right would, coming out of my mouth. Then. It, would, um, it would really get with a clear people. contrast of choice. Absolutely. For these two. And I remember, too, being at the DNC and being on the floor and having these guys, the Bernie bros, yeah. come and say they were so mad about the revelations that were coming out that the mm-hmm. DNC seemed to be, you know, putting its thumb on the scale for Hillary to de- Bernie's detriment. They were saying to me on the floor, like, we're voting for Trump. Now, whether they actually did or not, or whether they stayed home, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it wasn't helpful. They were really angry, and they have not forgotten. Because a lot of these people were young. I mean, a lot of his supporters are very young. He's also got uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez out there. Um, he's had the biggest crowds, especially the events with her, um, that I've seen on the Democrat side. I mean, they're, yeah. they are fired up. Like you said, especially for caucuses, you have to get people to show up. The bodies have to be there. He, yeah, he, his whole kind of you know, democratic socialism, he hasn't really been had to define, you know, what that is. And I think he sort of has skated through to some extent without really explaining too much of what his plan would look like. Or how he's going to pay for it. Or how he's going to pay for it. <laughs> Elizabeth Warren got pressed on these issues yeah. and it and it hurt her in mm-hmm. the end. And he has sort of managed to stay somewhat vague on, on some of these things. Mm-hmm. And I think it sort of adds to his mystery for mm-hmm. his followers and his, uh, his supporters. But, you know, when push comes to shove and people take a good look, I wonder if they are going to be looking for an alternative. And is that a Klobuchar? Mm-hmm. Is that a Bloomberg? Um, who is it? I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. but 
That's so why we play so the game. We're off to New Hampshire a week after that, yeah. and um, the polling there is interesting. Uh, still the same two or three top names that we're hearing there. Um, but then we go on to places like South Carolina, where Biden has just kind of, it looks like, has a stranglehold on uh, the the polls there. And it's not a caucus situation. I mean, this is like, yeah. go to the polls, vote. It's a primary. Um, you know. But then from there, we're on to Super Tuesday, where Bloomberg is all in on those states. Do you think... He'll still be in play at that point because it's a I risky thing. I think he's counting on some split votes in those first three states, you know. And if that happens, you do sort of go into Super Tuesday in a bit of a neutral position. Um, right now, it looks like Biden is uh, Sanders is ahead in both Iowa and in New Hampshire. But you know, there's some they're pretty close, so we could see what happens there. You could see even uh, even Warren or perhaps Biden pulling it out in New Hampshire, and then if Biden can get two of the three. That, that's oh, a yeah. potential game changer for him. You've got the ball, ball rolling at that point. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Okay, now. I want to talk about something that's going to happen in the middle of all of this. You yeah. are so brave. Great timing, rolling right? Out a, rolling out a book is a big proposition, <laughs> but I love this. Your book is called Unknown Valor, a story of family, courage, and sacrifice from Pearl Harbor to Iwo Jima. Mm-hmm. It is out February 25th, and this is a personal book for you. Tell us about it. It is. Um, when I was a teenager, my mom showed me the letters that her very close, beloved cousin Harry had written to her and to the family from Guam and then ultimately from Iwo Jima before that, you know, from Paris Island when he was in boot camp. And I was always fascinated by his story. And years later, many years later, digging back into it, I really wanted to answer some of the questions of what happened to him. Because of this, Shannon, when I watch movies like Saving Private Ryan, mm-hmm. and I, I think about, you know, there's always the heroes in these stories, but then there's also all of the young men who just die on the beach mm-hmm. all around, you know, the, the, the main character in these movies. And for every one of them, they left a hole in their family. They mm-hmm. have a story. And those families never forget it. They have scrapbooks, they have the pictures, and they have that gap, that person whose family tree just ended. Mm-hmm. And that is a pain that families never recover from. And Harry's sister is my Aunt Nancy, and she's a wonderful person. And she and I have, you know, even become much closer working on this story. But, you know, for her, it, the, the pain is still really there. And, and so I write this book really for all of those families out there to encourage people to find out more about the story of this person, whether that person was in World War II or, you know, whether it's a further back relative in World War I or even the Civil War. Dig into those stories. Find out your history. Because in the process of doing this, I managed to find two men who were with him when he was killed. Mm. And we filled in all of so many of the gaps of the story. I went to Iwo Jima. I walked on the beaches there. I met veterans who were in their 90s who made this very, very exhaustive trip, you know, Mm -hmm. 17-something hours uh, to Tokyo, to Hawaii, to Guam, to Iwo. And they're just amazing, amazing people. So I am really honored to to tell their story. And it's the 75th anniversary of Iwo Jima. It's one of the most... uh, devastating losses for the United States Marine Corps. That's why their their statue, mm-hmm. their memorial is the flag raising on Mount Suribachi. And it's 75 years ago this February 23rd. So we launched the book on the 25th. So tell me about the research process and tracking down and finding these other men. Yeah. 
It's pretty amazing. I mean, I was able to get all of their marine records. So I started going through, you know, Harry Gray, 18-year-old, Arlington, Massachusetts, the the forms that he filled out by hand to enlist. You know, what are the sports he played in high school? What is his preferred position in the military? You know, all of these. And these people just come alive off the page when you start reading what they wrote and the correspondence between them and their families. And, you know, just the incredible bravery of these young men who signed up and wrapped around on lines uh, around the block because, you know, after Pearl Harbor, it was Pearl Harbor that made them want to join. Mm -hmm. It was not what was going on in Europe Mm -hmm. at that time. That was what really inspired these young men. And they wanted to defend freedom. And they they really knew nothing of where they were going to be sent. Mm -hmm. You know, these places were so far away from the characters in this story. So we chronicle both the people at home that are writing to them and are still living in that world and these young men who... As one of them said to me, you know, when they were on those transport ships heading towards places like Anahuatak and Guam and Taipan and Tinian, he said, we were closer than brothers. Mm-hmm. And I think that could have been the title of the book because the sacrifice that they made in most, you know, they, they were there for their country. But once you're in the battlefield, they're fighting for each other. And I, you know, had the amazing experience of, of having one of them answer the phone and I told him who I was. I said, you know, I'm Harry Gray's niece. And he just stopped. He said, I've thought about him all my life. So he said, I often thought he would have lived a better life than I did. You know, the feeling that these men have who got to go on and live their lives and feeling that somehow by doing so, they robbed their friends of that Mm -hmm. opportunity is extraordinary. And, you know, there's the most humble people. You know, when Tom Brokaw uh, coined it the greatest generation, it really is It's a something special, these people. And mm-hmm. so we really need to remember them. And I hope that this book will do that for, for people who read it. Well, it's February 25th. It is out. I'm sure you can pre-order now. Absolutely. Well, in advance, it's called Unknown Valor, a story of family courage and sacrifice from Pearl Harbor to Iwo Jima. Uh, Martha McCallum, she does everything. All of our political coverage, 7 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, The Story and her podcast, The Untold Story. Thanks for visiting our podcast. Thank you, Shannon. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for talking with me about it. See you on the road. See ya. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.